welcome to Tree Talking Time, where we talk all things tree dogs. From the smallest fights to the largest hounds, drink squirrels to bears and everything in between. And from time to time, we might even run a little fast game. I got my first tree dog in high school. Uh, her name was Belle. She was a, a Ladner Black Mouth Cur. And I found out about Black Mouth Curs because we, we bought some goats from a guy who had some, and I'd never heard of them before. And I said, what do they do? And said, oh, I hunt squirrels and coons with them. And I'd never heard of people doing that with a dog. I grew up in uh, an area with lots of coon hounds and things. And, but hadn't heard of a cur dog, hadn't heard of hunting squirrels with curs. And that got me really interested and started doing research and found Mr. Ladner and bought a pup from him via mail back when we used to use that <laughs> and uh, sent my letter down and sent him a deposit. And him and Mr. Kurt sent me up a, a puppy, a, a little girl, and and uh, she, she, was, uh, she was awesome. And, you know, every dog gets better with time as you think back and forget oh, about yeah. all the mistakes. But, <laughs> but yeah. she, she was great. Uh, she was a little bit of a slow starter, and I uh, had to hunt her for – a good season and a half before she finally started treeing squirrels. But, uh, but the, the thing that always sticks out to me is that he was just a natural coon dog. The, uh, her would have been her third season. I finally decided to switch her on the coons and I'd never run her at night, never exposed her to one in a cage, anything like that. And I, but I had frozen a coon skin from some guys who were helping me get started. I drug it out in the yard and she treated and got all excited on that scent. And I thought, all right, well, she's got a good idea of what's going on now. And, uh, I took her out that night, open a night of coon season in Virginia. And, uh, she goes out next to a river close to our house and she, she starts getting, you know, kind of gamey under this tree. And I'm like, oh man, no way she's going to tree a coon the first night we're out here. And darn if I don't look up and there's a coon and she starts treeing a few seconds later. And, uh, we shoot it out and it's, it's still a little bit kicking and she goes and she grabs it. And I, I mean, she just took to it so easy and we had a whole lot of fun in high school did a lot of hunting with her and and uh, she was she's an awesome dog so that's yeah, that's how i got started that's getting awesome. into the tree dog game how, yeah. how long ago was that oh gosh that would have been i bought her in oh five or six okay somewhere in there and uh she just passed away uh just uh winter of 2021 i had sold her to a buddy when i went to college uh who had more time to hunt than i did mm-hmm. and uh, he hunted with her for many years after i sold her and uh she was still treeing coons when she was 13 14 wow. and uh and treed squirrels the day she she was euthanized he took her out for one last hunt so she was she was a great dog that's incredible she was now you said uh you sold her when you went to college i would imagine college consumed a lot of time for you <laughs> too much time yeah so, so uh we're, we're gonna why don't you introduce yourself sure uh my name is dr taylor young uh i've labeled myself tree dog doc on uh on social media and some full cry articles. Mm-hmm. I, I live in central Virginia in uh, practice in, in Bedford County. I grew up just, uh, just west of there in Roanoke and in, in Rocky Mount area of Virginia. And, uh, I now live in Amherst County, but work in Bedford County. And, uh, I'm a, a mixed animal veterinarian there. I see dogs, cats, and also see large animals like horses, cattle, and okay. uh, other farm animals. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so that's, that's a little bit about me. It's a nice variety. At least you're not stuck with, you know, one or the other all day. That's right. Variety is a spice of life. That's, that's my <laughs> motto. So Definitely. It's a great job. So we're going to kind of talk about some stuff pertaining to veterinary medicine today because, you know, you're an expert, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> well, some people call me that. They gave me the degree and I passed the board exam. So yep. I guess, uh, I guess <laughs> here I am. 
definitely smarter than most of us hillbillies out here who uh, keep a bunch of dogs. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, there's different kinds of intelligence, and I believe that. You guys could fool me on a lot of things, and but hopefully I can help uh, spread some of the things that I've learned and uh, paid a lot of money for the education. So <laughs> I have to hope that I can help help improve lives and help uh, some of your dogs and things that you're doing too. No, and I really appreciate it. I've enjoyed the articles. Um, like I was just telling you, I read your most recent article, and actually I learned something out of it today. Um, little tidbit of information that you put in there was uh, about fleas carrying tapeworms. I had never heard that. Yeah, yeah, sure enough. They All they got to do is eat them, and uh, then when they get digested, that's when the tapeworm eggs get released, and, and that's how they get it. So. Anytime I have a guy tell me that the dog doesn't have fleas and then we find tapeworm eggs in the fecal, then uh, I say, well, there's been on, some fleas on there at some point. <laughs> and yeah. here's why. So, yeah, sure enough. Interesting. Well, good. I'm glad you're reading it and learning things. No, I've really enjoyed them. Um, how long have you been writing those now? Well, I just got started with them this spring. Um, okay. I've, I've always wanted to and uh, kind of had, uh, you know, would read gun dog articles, uh, gun dog magazine, you know, yeah. and see, uh, the doctor's writing in there and I always thought, Oh man, I'd love to do that one day. And, uh, so of course with my interest being in tree dogs and, and, uh, specifically these cur dogs, uh, you know, I always wanted to one day to be able to do it full cry. And finally got started with it this spring, got a little downtime to start doing it. So I've enjoyed doing it for sure. Okay. So then I didn't miss any cause my, uh, my full cry subscription sometimes lapses cause I, I forget <laughs> to renew it. And so I just wasn't sure if I had missed any or, or not, but I guess I've probably read them all then. You just started. Yeah, you're up to date. I started <laughs> with a preventative health article and uh, and went from there. So yes, I did read that one. Good deal. Do you have tree dogs now? or? I do. I've got another Ladner. Okay. I went back to the same well. I was happy with what I had before. And uh, yeah, Rips is his name. And he's uh, he just turned one in May. I got him uh, shipped up here last September. And okay. uh, he's, uh, he's a pretty thing. And uh, he's... He's out of some dogs that, that they told me was out of their best tree dog lines. And so uh, I've, man, had him in the woods about every chance I could get during season. And uh, he, he's coming along. He's a little bit of a slow start, too. Uh, he took a while to start kind of getting out and hunting and getting out from under my feet. But uh, uh, if one thing I've learned from being a vet and from doing all the school and stuff is patience. And uh, so just kept him in the woods. And he's finally getting out there. He, he's just about treeing. Uh, I think once we get a, a few schools knocked out to him, when kill season opens back up, we're going to be there. Awesome. And then uh, and then we'll start getting after some coons too. But, yeah, so I got I got Rip. He's, he's that one-year-old Ladner. Nice. We talked a little bit before this episode, and you came up with a really good list. I mean, so I'll just let you take this away. I mean, I'll let you – usually I run the show, but I'm going to let – I'm going to turn the reins over to you and let you run this show because I don't know anything. Well – if there's one thing I, I do know and, and I want to say up front is that I believe that the guys that, that have hounds and curs and fights, you know, they, they are, are very, very invested. You, you spend a lot of time with these dogs, you know, I know cause I do it. Uh, it takes a lot of work and effort and, you know, I see a lot of health questions pop up on Facebook and social media and forums and things like that. And what I can always see is that there's always uh, the desire to do what's best for, for our dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and man, people pick up and they do learn a lot of good stuff, uh, from getting good advice from whether that's from mentors that, you know, bring them up in the hunting community, um, you know, seeking out, uh, medical advice from people who've been doing it for a long time. 
Um, so, you know, you guys know, do know a lot and have learned a lot of good things. Uh, and, 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 you know, that's why you're always my favorite clients to come in because <laughs> usually I don't have to explain things in, in terrible minute detail because you've already got the gist. Um, but at the same time, there's, you know, there's a lot of things that have changed in veterinary medicine. Uh, it's advanced. I mean, just really fast. And, and you know, oh, yeah. they tell us, they tell us when we start school, by the time we graduate, we're already going to be out of date. Things are changing that fast. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, my hope is to just bring some of that, that newer stuff and, and also just kind of give you some insight into what the vet world looks like uh, okay. from our perspective mm-hmm. and, and kind of help you understand why sometimes your vet has to do the things they do yeah, or not do the things they used to be able to do <laughs> in a lot of cases. Yeah. So, Because uh, you hear that a lot. You hear... Oh, you know, I miss old Doc so and so because they were just a good old down home vet and they would, you know, do X, Y, and Z and the new vet in town doesn't do that. Hmm. Yep. I hear that a lot. I was gonna say you hear that a lot in the houndsman community. Absolutely. Yeah, so I guess that's a good place to start and give you some insight into that. You know, twenty, thirty years ago, uh, I'd say vet med was was primarily veterinarians who saw a little bit of everything. And if they didn't see it, they were just small animal exclusive. They were usually your in stop. You aren't going to see a specialist. It was either, you know, do or die with mm-hmm. that guy. And so they had to make something work. And, you know, part of big part of vet med is not, it's not just the animal. You got to treat the client, we call it. And so, you know, things that were done to try to, to at least get some progress or to make a problem go away. Um, and those aren't all bad things, but, but now we've totally transitioned to a new, it's a new world. Uh, the, the vet that sees mixed animals is dying out, uh, like I do. And it's not a common thing anymore, unless you're in a really rural area. Yeah. We're increasingly seeing, uh, most of my, my classmates, I would say probably over 80% of them go into exclusive small animal practice. Mm-hmm. Most of those are corporately owned meaning these are big companies that own multiple hospitals spread throughout multiple states, cities. Interesting. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. That, Didn't that's realize changing that. Very, very rapidly changing. Yeah. Um, and there's still plenty of independently owned practices, but I would say a lot of this, my generation is going into these corporately owned practices. Um, and then, you know, you're having other people that do just food animals, just do horses, just mm-hmm. do, uh, and now we have a ton of increasing specialization. People who just do reproduction, people yeah. who just do surgery, people who just do cardiology, you know, heart. Um, so insane. there's an increasing, it, it is, right? Yeah. People, when I say that there's a neurologist to go see <laughs> for your dog, they're like, what? Yeah. Uh, somebody can cut open a dog brain? Yeah, they do. Um, so so the, the old doctor that used to do it all um, is, is really there that that's not going to happen anymore um, because with that increasing specialization, um, you know, there's just so many things you can learn in four years of vet school and there's an increased reliance in our education of getting to a point where you've run out of the, your knowledge and now you need to refer um, and increase emphasis on, you know, get to a point where you've done everything you can and then refer to a specialist who can handle that further. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has pros and cons, but that, that right there is, is just changing how your vet is educated oh, yeah. that you're seeing now versus how they used to be educated 20 years ago. Definitely. Um, 
stuff. So that changed the game big time. And at the same point, the way animals are viewed in today's society overall versus the way animals were viewed, like you said, 20, 30, 50 years ago is drastically different. That's exactly right. Which is yeah. what has driven a lot of that change, I'm sure. You know, 50 years ago, nobody was going to take their dog to a neurologist. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. So. And now, you know, I get surprised by the number of people that will do it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly right. I'd just say that there are definitely some, some pros and cons to that, that attitude and that outlook. And I would say that most people come in and they call them their, their fur babies or their, mm-hmm. you know, they're like my kids is a phrase I hear all the time. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, being a little bit of a farm boy, mixed animal set, you know, I see cows and sometimes we're making economic decisions, not emotional decisions. And, yeah. and, uh, you know, there's, there's, uh, and, and being you're a Christian and, and having a biblical perspective on where animals fall and they're not people, they're not made with the, in the image of God and with the importance of people. Um, you know, that's not a perspective that is common anymore. Uh, yeah. I can tell you it's very limited in, mm-hmm. you know, just from my colleagues and classmates. Yeah. Um, and most people do see them as a person, which, which also affects uh, how, how you're allowed to work and, and prescribe and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. You had said a lot of the tree dog people have a general knowledge of shots and deworming and some flea and tick stuff, but some of that might be old, outdated and some of the sources that we go to might not always necessarily be the best. I know we were talking a little bit about how to assess your source when it comes to medical advice. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so there's the thing we get taught in, in veterinary school, and this is this is true for human med too, is is practicing evidence-based medicine, or EBM is the abbreviation. And, and what that means is we want to practice medicine that has good evidence behind it and what does that, what does what good evidence actually mean? Well, there's this whole pyramid that you can look up, EBM pyramid, that kind of rates uh, how good a piece of information is. Uh, and we don't have to get too technical, but, you know, all medical advice is not equal. And so we have all the way down to, you know, kind of your, your lowest level of, of quality would be what we call anecdotal evidence, which mm-hmm. means here's what I've experienced and seen. So I'm going to make recommendations based off of that. And mm-hmm. that's primarily what, what we see when we're looking on, you know, the Facebook hound group yep. or the old school dog forums is this is somebody who's, Hey, here's what happened in my dog and mm-hmm. here's how I treat it. Here's how you can do so. And that has a lot of validity to it. Uh, I mean, we do that. That's do that every day. We make medical decisions based on prior experiences. And so that's not necessarily wrong. However, if all you do is rely on that, just your own experiences and the, the times that you've experienced this problem, you're, you're really selling yourself and your dog short because there's a huge body of knowledge and research and literature out there to, to try to tell you what the best way to do things is based on more objective mm-hmm. uh, criteria and input. Mm-hmm. So, you know, these recommendations that I make when somebody walks in and and they you know, want to ask what shots we get or what preventative should I use. You know, these are things based off of either national guidelines from national organizations and national bodies of you know, veterinarians, um, you know, published research that shows this drug or that drug is, is more efficacious in this disease scenario, um, trials to show that this drug um, you know, does the job versus not using the drug. 
Yeah. Uh, so there's, it's important that those recommendations have something backing them up. And, you know, like I say, you, you can't, you don't have evidence, good quality evidence for every possible scenario. And whenever somebody comes in to me and I'll, I'll say, you know what? I actually don't have a great reason for saying this, but it's just based on my experience. I don't have research to back it up. I can't point you to a study, but here's what I've done in the past. Yeah. Uh, but I try to acknowledge that versus the times when I can confidently say, hey, here's what a paper shows. This is this is the best way to go about it. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And, and like we've said, there's been a lot of money and time invested into this research in the last 20 years where previously it wasn't. So. There's been a lot of that's advances right. in the last 20. I'm, I'm saying 20 is an arbitrary number, but I would kind of say that's probably been where a lot of it's happened, where a lot sure. of leaps and bounds have been made. Sure. Yeah, and a lot of that's driven by technology and you know the internet boom and having that you know easier access to information. Yeah. Um, and but yes, yeah, absolutely. And two, and there is you know I think I think there's a general I guess I would say an attitude sometimes of of mistrust between um, some, you know, especially uh, vets towards uh, you know country guys, hound dog guys, tree dog guys. Um, they get viewed sometimes as, as uh, not doing what they think is best for the dog and, and vilified. And I've heard comments made multiple times uh, from my my colleagues and about you know guys that have hounds and stuff. And and likewise, uh, there's kind of a, an attitude of of um, I guess animosity sometimes uh, from from the the tree dog world towards veterinarians being money grubbing, um, being uh, you know just in it to only wanting to treat you know fluffy and foo foo yeah. uh, little poodles and having expensive pills that are just for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know when when you come in to me, my recommendations are the same whether or not uh, it's your your bear dog or whether or not it's the little shih tzu that, that grandma brought in. And, you know, because there's evidence that's applicable to all of them. Now, yeah. how we go about some things is different, but the research is, is the same. And, and and the reason I'm saying that is, you know, I, I hope that we can hopefully in, in this podcast too, um, let's get behind the curtain of, of why we make those recommendations and, and talk about those things yeah. um, and have a little bit more trust in your vet. Mm-hmm. And, and that goes back to, this, this, you know, where we get these things. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't get kickbacks for recommending this drug or that drug. Sure, we have a little bit of a markup, um, but that's any business does that on a product. Yeah. Um, you know, so we don't make these these recommendations and do these things based off of uh, any any you know hidden agenda. It's because that's what we've been trained and, and educated to do, and have good evidence that mm-hmm. this is what works and what's going to be effective. Um, and, you sure? And like, with, I know Joe down the road. He told me that that vet, you know, was getting paid by that drug company. You know, are you <laughs> sure? If you can have him, uh, <laughs> let me know where he gets that check from. I'd like to sign up for it. Exactly. <laughs> sure. Because <laughs> uh, you know, with that too, uh, I guess this is a good place to talk about it. But you know, the, what it takes to become a vet and and the cost. That it does. This is maybe a good place to talk about the cost of, of medicine because that's closely yeah. associated with the advance of mm-hmm. our medical knowledge. You know, educational cost in general has risen dramatically oh, compared to what it used to be. Right? I mean, pretty much any young guy listening to this podcast that went to college can probably tell you, you know, that they've still got school debt. 
oh, yeah. um, unless you were you were smart and went to a trade, unlike me. But uh, we <laughs> so and in the vet community, especially, uh, is one of the harder hit areas because you know you have to have a four year undergrad degree, uh, and most people are, are financing that with student loans. Um, then then after you finish your four years of undergrad, you've got to do four years of, of veterinary school. And uh, depending on where you go, uh, if you're in an in-state school like I went, it's much cheaper than if you have to go out of state. Uh, but, you know, we're looking at an average. I think the last numbers I saw is that the average veterinary student is graduating with one hundred forty dollars to $150,000 in debt. Mm. Um, and Yeah, yeah. And that's that number is skewed because there's a lot of veterinary students that are graduating with no debt. Uh, because they're fortunate enough to have family help or inheritance or whatever that pays for that, you mm-hmm. know, or you're there on the opposite end of the spectrum. I have multiple friends who have, you know, over $300,000 in debt. Wow. Uh, just the day that they graduate based off of, uh, you know, their undergrad and their, their veterinary school loans and veterinary school. Is so competitive, some people will go and get a master's degree or something in between there to get, get an edge to get in. So, you know, you're, you're racking up all this money before you've ever earned a dollar mm-hmm. uh, off of it. And, yep. and with that, with that, that means that we're having to graduate and take jobs that pay better to help pay that, that debt. Yep. And so, you know, along with that, um, you know, that's, that's another goes back to the, you know, not having an old doctor out in the country anymore. Uh, frankly, most, most of my classmates couldn't afford to, mm-hmm. they, they can't make enough income to justify their their uh, student loan payment that they have to make in addition to all your other living expenses yeah um which would so make sense that. why the corporate vets are kind of becoming a bigger thing if if they can supply the paycheck that most vet young vets are going to need that's why that's taking way of the old style vet that had a single pra- you know single guy with a practice that's, exactly and even all the the exactly. cost of of owning a practice yeah, exactly. And, and you know, if you come out and you're trying to apply for a business loan, a much educational debt, mm-hmm. um, that's, that's a much harder thing. Um, and so it's, it's a, a significant hurdle for today's, you know, graduating veterinarian uh, to get over. And, and, you know, and with that, um, you know, the reason, part of the reason that that cost is increasing for us um, is because, you know, we're, we're getting education increasingly from specialists and, and people that are, uh, would have, could have gone and made a lot of money in private practice and they're having to, to get paid to come back to academia. Mm-hmm. But we're also having to pay increased costs because of the increased technology that we're having to learn on. You know, we had an MRI and a CT machine at my veterinary school. Uh, I mean, we're talking human-level human, human level stuff, yeah. uh, which is routine for them. But, you know, 20 years ago would have been unheard of mm-hmm. uh, to have your dog go through an MRI. Oh, yeah. um, but but who, who pays for those things, the veterinary student does help subsidize those things. Um, but, but that also then downstream, you know, increases your cost of care, uh, because there's a lot of new things in the market and new, because we have access to these new technologies and information, the new drugs that hit the market. Um, you know, we'll talk about flea and tick pills in a little bit. They're, yeah. they're awesome. They're very effective, but I do understand they're expensive. Um, and so just our greater access to those things, and the increased uh, specialization of these drugs and equipment that we have does drive up that cost in addition to uh, mm-hmm. the cost of having what it takes to actually just live a, a lifestyle of that. For sure. Oh, yeah. No, see, I mean, you've got a lot of things that are driving up the cost of veterinary medicine. And, and like we said, you know, the way people view animals in general anymore. As houndsmen, we kind of, I don't want to say that 
we we view animals less but i think we're more realistic with that they are animals and they're not children and so therefore yeah. we we struggle because i mean i and i put myself in this category i mean at times i've struggled with the cost of vet care and it's like that's ridiculous it's a dog but mm-hmm. when when you break it down like that and you say increased education costs increased technology increased research and development that is going into veterinary medicine as a whole that's just driving all of these costs upward together it's not just a single this drug costs more because it costs a lot to make it it's no it's everything across the board sure sure and it makes a lot of sense when, when you actually kind of spell it out like that and it's really not hard when you think about it but most people including myself don't really think about it yep I, I see where why those costs are already up. Absolutely, and you, you know, just any guy that is listening to this that owns a business, uh, you know, gets that. I, I do. I do see a you know, difference between the people that that walk into my office that that run and operate their own business versus are you know an employee. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got overhead, and we've got you yeah. know staff that I've got to pay whether you show up for your appointment or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, equipment that's sitting there whether it gets used that day or not, and uh, yes, yeah, so all that adds to it. And uh, so that fifty dollars walking in the door is is nowhere near paying for all our costs just to be open that day. Mm-hmm. And uh, but yeah, but I do get it too because I was a I was a consumer, I was a, a you know a patient and a client before I was a vet. Yeah. And uh, you you see those costs and and before you understand what goes on behind the curtain, you're like, man, that hurts my wallet. <laughs> and I get it. Yeah. I get it. I do. Well, let's uh, shift gears a little bit. So I know that I'm guilty of this, and I'm sure others are. I'm always not maintaining a best, the best relationship with a vet and not taking our, our dogs to the vet regularly and only doing it when we need to. So why don't we talk about why we should maintain that relationship and what's the benefits of it? Yeah. So along with the you know changes in how many uh, vets are coming out with so much more debt and increased costs, the other thing that's happening is there's there's they're calling it a vet shortage mm-hmm. uh, nationwide, and what what's really happening is there's an increased amount of patients. Uh, more people are you know especially our generation are graduating college and they're either not getting married or or they're deciding kids are 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 off the table for them and their pets are becoming their kids and and so there's more pets. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's more people to have more pets per per person, and then and then you also have uh, this this giant backlog of there's all these people who want to be a vet, but there's this bottleneck called vet school, yeah. and we're not able to just crank out a bunch of new vets just because we have an increased demand. And so right now, uh, especially there's some sectors of vet med that are hit really hard, like equine medicine, especially. Um, it's getting harder and harder to find a horse vet, but it's also starting to affect small animals too. Okay. And so it it used to be uh, a lot easier to get in to see a vet when you got a problem. Oh, hey, my dog, I woke up this morning and he's limping. Uh, you know, can I, can I bring him in and take a look at him? Or, uh, man, my dog's been itching and biting at his, his uh, nether regions all night long. Can I get it, come in and get a pill? Well, quite frankly, there's, there's many days where we just have to say no because we can't handle any more patients mm-hmm. and, and do a good job. Um, and so with that, we, we have to have priority given towards people that we have already established what and I'll define what this is. It's called a veterinary client patient relationship or VCPR. And so, you know, for in Virginia, for example, a VCPR 
um, is defined as having a relationship where me as your veterinarian or another vet in the practice uh, has basically said, I am going to be your veterinarian. I've assumed responsibility for making judgments about your animal. I know what's going on with your animal uh, via a diagnosis made by examination or having talked with you. Um, and, and we've maintained that relationship closely enough that I, I feel like I have a good general knowledge of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And most, some practices, uh, practice acts, and depending on the state, might have a time frame on that. Virginia does not, but we, we basically cut it off at a year and say if we haven't you know, seen your dog for an exam in the last year, our VCPR is no longer valid. Okay. And where that becomes important is, is these situations like, uh, hey, my dog, he, you know, I took him hunting last night. I woke up and uh, he's limping on his foot. Can you see him? Well, if we don't have a valid VCPR, and we've got 20 people calling in in the morning saying they want to get come in and get an exam. Priority is given towards people who have already established a VCPR with us okay. um, and, and have that established. Now, we can you know, debate on whether that's fair or wrong or not. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I only have so many hours in a day and can only see so many patients. Yeah. Um, and, and I have assumed responsibility having established that VCPR with you. Uh, you know, what part of that was I've assumed responsibility for your, your dog's uh, medical issues. And, and so that patient who I've assumed responsibility for takes priority over the patient that I haven't seen in three years. Yeah. Um, so that, that is a big, big part, uh, especially for, for our hounds and, and, and cur dogs. Uh, you know, you are liable to have an accident or a wound mm-hmm. or, you know, they get into eating something. Oh, and yeah. if you have that VCPR established, uh, you know, I can do a lot more than if I haven't seen the dog in three years. Mm-hmm. For example, uh, you know, that dog that you, know, you went hunting last night, he came in limping the next morning and I did his annual exam, you know, six months ago. Well, you know what? I can probably just tell you, hey, I'm slammed today. I cannot see another patient, but you can come in and I can give you some pain. You can give that to him for a couple of days and let's see how he's doing so I can squeeze in and come take a look at him. Yeah. If we don't have a v- if we don't have a valid VCPR, I legally cannot prescribe those drugs uh, for your dog because I will be uh, seen as, as uh, giving prescription to a dog that, that I don't have enough medical knowledge to do so, mm-hmm. um, and that threatens my license to practice. Um, yeah. As a matter of fact, a vet here locally uh, within the last few years lost his license because he was giving vaccines to dogs that he had not done exams on. Uh, and he got taken to the board over it and, and lost his ability to practice. And so we're, wow. we're, we have to be really careful about what we can do and, and not do now. Mm-hmm. And having that VCPR gets you a long ways okay. uh, in order to be able to do those things. I never realized it was that important. Yeah. And, and that's especially where, you know, also under increasing legal scrutiny, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. um, where, we are much higher risk of being sued or having, you know, a malpractice complaint made against us. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's made the practice of the profession as a whole practice a little bit more on the defensive than we used to. Um, you know, and that's, that goes back again to, to your old country doctor. Um, you know, he didn't have that, that pressure back in his day yeah. where somebody was going to sue him over, uh, his, quote unquote kid that you treated and, and you know they claim you messed up yep. um, that was that's a different world now and that does affect to how we prescribe and treat um, because we have to be able to defend ourselves if we get taken in front of the state board 
Um, and so as having that VCPR established, knowing what's going on with your dog, um, being able to prescribe appropriately or treat appropriately, uh, that all, that all goes into play there. Interesting. So I'm, I'm learning. And, and like I said, anybody that's feeling like I'm, I'm calling you out, I'm, I'm calling myself out. I've been guilty of literally everything we're talking about today about not not having the best relationship with a vet. I've complained about vet cost. I have, like I said, I am guilty of all of this. So I am in no way calling people out here and saying that you're not doing what you should because I've been there. That's right. And, and, you know, I mean, I only, you know, went into vet school five years ago. And before that, I was, I was just another client, like I said before, uh, and you don't know these things. Mm-hmm. And, and this is, you know, a good piece of advice I'd say is, is if, you know, if you're feeling uh, judged or feeling like your vet looks down on you, uh, you know, maybe it's just, it's just a bad fit and you, mm-hmm. you need to find somebody who maybe gets a little bit more of your perspective. Uh, because when you come in and you don't understand these things for, for my clients, Hey man, you're not a vet, you know, you're a mechanic, you're a farmer. Uh, it's not your job to know, but I do try to explain those things so you understand where I'm coming from too. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not withholding medicine from your dog because I want my 50 bucks. Uh-huh. Uh, there's a whole lot more that goes into it, uh, behind the curtain. So there's never on, you know, for me as a vet, um, you know, once I've explained these things and you still want to know fight us about it, uh, that's different. But if, you know, if you're coming from just a, a base of not knowing and, and not realizing what, what goes into it on our end, I understand. I understand that, and uh, let's let's work together to fill, you know fill that knowledge gap. And uh, now you know where I'm coming from as your vet, yeah. and uh, and I try to be as understanding as I can of where you're coming from too. Mm-hmm. We had talked about um, you know maybe some cost cutting and yeah, and things good. you can do at home. So this this would be a good segue to also talk about you know uh, common thing that I see. I addressed some of it in. Um, the latest full article, but, mm-hmm. but prescribing meds that maybe aren't designed for, for dogs um, yes. and made for dogs. But maybe this would be a good place to talk about that. And yep. I can transition into some of that at home stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so one thing that's super common in the, you know, the hound dog world, true dog world is, is treating at home with lots of stuff, <laughs> lots <laughs> of stuff, right? Yes. Um, you know, classic like, using Ivamec for cattle and giving that orally to dogs for heartworm prevention. Mm-hmm. Uh, things like using, uh, you know, bear tree and shrub and cattle fly tag uh, for fleas and ticks. Yep. Using horse dewormer uh, to, to treat, you know, hookworms and roundworms and intestinal parasites. You know, that stuff, I mean, you, you can find all kinds of doses and recommendations and, and those kinds of things uh, offline. And, you know, I guess uh, another common complaint I hear or read is that, um, you know, oh, well, my old doc says this is fine to give to my dog for such and such issue. Um, and I've been doing it this way for years and, and never had a problem. So, so that leads us into talking about on-label versus off-label medication use and prescribing. Yes. And so there are, there's, a, there's actually a, a uh, a law called uh, Animal Medicinal Drug Use and Clarification Act, or MDUCA, and it basically uh, outlines how veterinarians are allowed to prescribe uh, medications and gives you tiers of what you're allowed to prescribe and not prescribe. It's really important in food animal uh, because there's a, a significant public health implication mm-hmm. for using some of these drugs. You know, you use the wrong drug in a cow, it stays in its meat, and somebody that 
that that meat, and they can be poisoned or uh, made ill from eating those things. So it's really important there, and a lot of that law focuses on that. But it also addresses what we call companion animal uses, pets, uh, you know, dogs, cats, stuff like that. Um, part of that law is that you, as a veterinarian, you are supposed to use the drug that has been labeled for a certain species route indication uh, before you go and use the off-label thing. Mm-hmm. So let's go back to the heartworm drugs. Uh, ivermectin for cattle. Ivermectin, and that is an ivermectin, is the same ivermectin that's in the Heart Guard Plus. It's the same. That's the same ivermectin. Yep. But Heart Guard Plus is labeled for use in dogs for mm-hmm. the prevention of heartworm. Nice. Uh, ivermectin in cattle is not does not have that label on there. Mm-hmm. And so, when you walk into my practice and say, you know, can you give me a dose for ivermectin to use in my dogs? Well, no, I can't. And the reason why is because I have labeled drugs that are made for the indication that you're using it for heartworm prevention, mm-hmm. and I'm legally obligated to use those drugs first. Yeah. Um, so is now um, we're not what we're not discussing is whether it's actually effective or not. Yeah. Um, and we're, you know, we're, so there's a lot. We're discussing the legality of why you're not allowed to prescribe it. Exactly. Exactly. And I tell you what, I have done. I mean, hours of my own research mm-hmm. trying to justify for you guys why you can use the Ivamec, uh, or you can use these other things. And it's, it's not there <laughs> to be frank, mm-hmm. but you know, you have to, you have to wonder if all of these dogs get an Ivamec for years and not showing up heartworm positive, if it's not working, mm-hmm. um, you know, that those dogs are just getting really lucky. But again, we're not talking about, are these things actually working? We're just talking about why your vet has to prescribe the way they prescribe, yeah. um, and, and why that's changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, yes, you're probably not going to walk in and get any more, you know, recommendations for, oh, yeah, just use the Ivamec, use, you know, your Panicure horse dewormer for deworming. Uh, those, those things aren't going to really be discussed anymore from a, a veterinarian's perspective because of those reasons. Yep. But there are things that you can do at home and that you can cut costs um, and, and, you know, save you some money while mm-hmm. also uh, be, making us be able to work with you. Um, I, I say the first, this, we already talked about it, but the first thing is, you know, just keep up with your annual exam for, for 50 bucks. Even if all you do is walk in the door, I put my hands on your dog and, you know, look at them and make sure I don't see any current illnesses. Just take a physical exam. We can talk and ask, you know, we talk about any current issues you're having, um, any health issues or concerns that they've had in the last year that you're worried about. Uh, you know, it's up to you. In, in part to take advantage of that time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you can go in there and complain, oh, it cost me $50 to walk in the door and, and, and they didn't you know, even do anything. Um, well, man, bring your list of questions. I, I, I don't mind that when you come in and, and you say, hey, what about this? What about this? I noticed this. Because you're paying me for that time. Yep. Uh, you know, you scheduled it. And so, and then, you know, we are able to get on top of things that maybe you didn't notice all the time and catching issues that are, able to be addressed sooner rather than later. And that ends up being better in the long run for that dog. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say, you know, I hear heart murmurs that weren't there last year. Um, I feel masses that weren't there last year. Dental yep. um, disease that's kind of crept up on you. Uh, you know, an underlying ear infection that, that you didn't even see the dog shaking his head. And so I do catch things quite often where the owner comes in and says, there was no problem. And I mm-hmm. find the problem. Yep. Um, now, if you're going to your vet and they're actually not touching your dog, 
when you go in for your annual exam, you know, again, maybe you just need to find a different spot, but I yep. do put hands on from nose to tail, every dog that comes in for an annual exam. Uh, and, and you, so you might think that that doesn't save you money by paying for an annual exam. You don't think you need, but you know, if we can catch those problems early, uh, a lot of them are going to be easier to treat in the early stages versus the later stages. And sometimes we can, you know, pre- prevent it from snowballing to a thousands of dollars if you, um, yep. and keeping it at hundreds of dollars this year. I will tell on myself, and this was years ago when I first got started, I, I had a dog that had a problem and it snowballed, and that dog unfortunately did not live because I, I didn't catch it in time, and maybe if I would have taken him to a vet regularly, it could have been caught. I mean, I'm not going to say it would have or it wouldn't have. Who knows? Sure. And, you know, I always tell, whenever somebody brings up a story like that, you know, I always say it's, it's really easy. Hindsight's twenty twenty, yep. And so you could have come in and maybe we caught it, but mm-hmm. all we're doing on our exam is seeing what we see that day. And so does this catch every possible thing that could have happened? You know, of course not. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, whether or not it would have made a difference in your case is always hard to say, but, uh, there's, I can say with confidence that there are things that I catch. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, part of that too is, you know, there's lots of guys maybe listening to this that, they might say, well, you know, I've had dogs all my life. I know when there's a problem, when there's not a problem. Um, you know, I did some quick math, kind of figured out the other day. You know, I see mixed animals. I don't see dogs every day. But you know, just in the last year, uh, I, I figured I've probably put hands and done exams on, you know, over 600 dogs. And that's, that's a very conservative estimate. Yeah. Um, and, you know, even, you know, unless you're a dog trader, <laughs> you're probably not putting your hands on 600 dogs uh, maybe in your lifetime. And so, you know, our, our training and, and our uh, education enables us to pick up on things that you might not mm-hmm. uh, just, just out of doing it. And just, you know, just the same goes for me when I bring my car to the mechanic. Well, just because my front right tire is shaking and the last time it was a wheel bearing and I come in and say it's a wheel bearing to the mechanic, you know, he, he laughs, right? Because mm-hmm. just because it's happened to me once in my life does, yeah. doesn't mean it's going to be what the problem is all the future times and his knowledge and experience. You know, yep. he, he understands that and has seen all the things that could be causing that problem. So, you know, you coming in and, and relying on that knowledge uh, and, and experience can get you far. But it's oh, not yeah. 100% guarantee, that's for sure. And at the same point, but if you're not taking your dog to the vet annually, but how many of you are actually going to go out there with a stethoscope and examine your dog, know what you're looking for? You know what I mean? Like, yes, you look at your dog, you see your dog every day, but also what you don't notice is slow things that change incrementally and not drastically so mm-hmm. and and that's part of like i said where things crept up on me is because i didn't realize a gradual change if you're not a trained vet it's really hard to be objective when it's your own dog and it's and you see that dog every day and like i said we're not examining it to the same extent as a vet would that's, that's a great point uh and you know even amongst the vet We'll, we'll often have another vet examine our dogs because of that bias right there, mm-hmm. that, that, that slow onset of an issue that you may have kind of, uh, is that, is that normal? Uh, well, yeah, yeah, I think so. And it just kind of slowly day by day changes versus, you know, the dog that comes in and I make notes about an issue or not having an issue in the next year. Oh, was that there last year? I go back and check my notes. Nope. That's changed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that that's exactly what you're, you're describing. Uh, that makes a big difference for sure. Like I said, that, and that's just my own experience. And, and that's why I, I do see value in what you're saying. And because like I said, I've, I've paid the price. 
unfortunately. Well, my dog is the one that really ended up paying the price because of my ignorance. And uh, definitely don't want to go through that again. So that's why I'm, I was excited to have you on. <laughs> well, yeah, we, including us, we, we learn from our mistakes, right? And mm-hmm. uh, you, you do want to go through something one time or treat a patient one way and it didn't work. And try to, the best you can do is to, to not make that mistake again and, and change your, change how you do it the next time. So mm-hmm. happens to all of us. Well, I think we were kind of segueing into the cost uh, cutting. That's right. So, so that we talked about, you know, the importance of having that annual exam. We mm-hmm. talked earlier about uh, how that lets us prescribe. Uh, in some some cases, not all, not all the time. Um, you know, if we've got that established relationship, maybe you don't have to come in on an emergency exam, mm-hmm. which is usually going to be more expensive uh, to come and get meds for something. If we feel like we we kind of have a handle on your dog and their history and what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and that does allow us to prescribe. So, so right there, you may be saving yourself an emergency visit in the future, uh, which if you've ever had to go into an emergency veterinarian, you know, is, is even more expensive than your, than your general practice veterinarian. Yep. Um, and so, so that's a big, big cornerstone of it. Um, but, but let's get a little bit more practical, uh, vaccines. Okay. So vaccines have been done by a lot of hound and tree dog guys for, by themselves because you know there's rural background maybe you're vaccinating your cattle stuff like that you know how to give a shot and uh and you know what i i don't have a problem with it there's a lot of practices in vets that you know have an issue with that or kind of get get hard on you for giving your dogs vaccine um and you know these these vaccines that you're given are mostly for your dog's protection and so you know if you want to give your own dogs your own vaccines and stuff that's that's okay by me Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can save some money by doing that. If you, even if you just come in to get your annual exam and say, no, I don't want any vaccines, that maybe the rabies, we'll talk about that in a second. Yep. I could, I do my own vaccines at home. Cool. Uh, some, some things I would tell you about that, how the vaccines are handled and stored and shipped mm-hmm. is very important. And, you know, the common thing you'll hear from a vet to say, well, uh, well, you don't know if that feed store vaccine has been handled and kept appropriately and, and whether it's been uh, exposed to heat or sunlight or anything like that, I'd say that that happens. I'm sure it does. You know, the 16 year old kid, a tractor supply left it out on the dock too long and it falled out. And then that vaccine is no longer effective. I'm sure it happens. Yeah. But I, I would say how often, probably not that often. Yeah. Um, but you know, some things you can do to, to skip that problem. You can order them directly offline. They come straight from a, a manufacturer's warehouse um, and you, you know, they come on ice. And the important things for you are is to maintain that vaccine however it's supposed to be maintained. And, and almost all of them are supposed to be kept at cold temperature until you're uh, going to use it. Yep. Um, so, you know, get them from a reliable source. Handle them how you're supposed to handle them. Uh, you know, don't pull up the vaccine. You know, don't pull up 15 vaccines in your, your kitchen and then walk out on a 90-degree day and leave them sitting on your pickup dashboard while you go out to your kennels and vaccinate them. You'll inactivate your vaccine. It's no longer effective. Um but as long as you're doing proper handling, proper, uh, you know, keeping temps and making sure that you're getting from a reliable source, doing your own vaccines uh, is, is a great way to save a little bit. Because um, like I do, go ahead. Do you have a recommended source for vaccines? Like you said, places to buy them online? Sure. I, I don't have one that I recommend per se. I would just say, um, you know, buy from, uh, buy from, bigger name companies um 
and then buy buy vaccine brands that are, uh, I guess I would say used by vets. Okay. Uh, brand, brands like Merck is primarily what we use in my vet hospital, Zoetis, uh, Boeing, Ingelheim, BI for short. Um, uh, there's, there's even a couple I'm missing. But those are those are brands that we buy and use. Uh, and so there's a couple, you know, kind of feed store brands and stuff like that. I don't know that they're necessarily worse than these others. Um, but I know for sure I can, I can recommend these other brands cause I've used them and, and they, they have good companies to back them up. Um, so, so buying from a reputable manufacturer and then, you know, check how these things are being handled from wherever you're ordering it. Um, are they, make sure they're getting shipped on ice. Um, if, if when you get it in and your ice pack is stalled out, uh, well, you need to send them back and request your money back and, and order from somewhere different next time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say, you know, try to avoid the little niche uh, sales and, and buy from uh, big name companies that, that sell this stuff all the time and know how to handle them, ship them. Okay. Um, so that's vaccines. And, and let's talk about the rabies vaccine real quick. Mm-hmm. So this is a common one I see, uh, you know, how it's a crock that only vets are supposed to, are allowed to give the rabies or I guess give a, a legally recognized rabies. Yeah. Um, so you can you can buy the rabies vaccine online. Uh, you, know, you can go walk to your feed store and buy the rabies vaccine and give it to your dog. It should be just as effective. Uh, the, the problem with rabies specifically is that it poses a, a really big hazard to human health. Mm-hmm. And so that's why rabies is looked at so much differently than your, your just temper parvo shot or okay. your Lyme disease shot. And so because because rabies in, in, in somebody who gets it is is 100% fatal. Mm-hmm. If you know, I say 100%, there's like two cases in in the literature that where people survived it. Okay, but for all practical purposes, it's 100% fatal. Uh, still a huge cause of death. You know, in other undeveloped countries where rabies is still running rampant in their dog and cat populations, and and so the the most states and local governments have much stricter requirements on your rabies vaccine uh, because of those issues. And because there's a whole list of regulations and laws that we have to go through if you get bit by an animal that has a questionable history or an unproven history of a rabies vaccine. Mm-hmm. And the reason that they rely on veterinarians to give those is because we have been trained how to properly handle, store, and they, they can reliably and repeatedly say that if a veterinarian gave it, that should have been a valid rabies vaccine. Yeah. Versus, um, you know, if I hand a guy a syringe and needle and say go give that dog a vaccine and that's their first dog can you do you honestly trust that they gave the vaccine the right route that it got under the skin where it's supposed to go that they didn't handle that box vaccine improperly um if you if it's your kid that gets bit by the neighborhood dog yep. are you going to trust that they gave that rabies vaccine the right way because they got it from the feed store and they say they know how to do it um so th- those are some of the reasons why that rabies vaccine is a little bit more strict mm-hmm. but you know it's it's pretty dang cheap and especially if you have somewhere that does rabies clinic my clinic does a couple of rabies clinics a couple of year, times a year and they're usually like five to eight bucks a shot yeah you're giving it given by a veterinarian you get your certificate it's not a big deal you can load we get guys to come in you know the truck full of bear dogs and and one two three four five six there you go um, so you can still do that pretty dang cheap mm-hmm. um if you if you time it right or you can just get it done at your annual and if you have to pay for one shot uh, that's really not so bad. I think ours is eighteen dollars for yeah. the rabies shot. So, so that's the one, and that's the kind of the rationale for why that one's not not an at home vaccine. But, mm-hmm. but everything else, 
just temper parvo, lepto, lime, uh, bordetella, things like that. Um, you're giving it yourself. And, you know, if you can buddy up with, uh, if you got another guy that has some dogs and you can buy, most of them come in cases of 25 and maybe your, your hunt club or something like that is able to buy them and do them together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's why you can save some cost too. Just to buy them both and get, get, get more of them yeah. and, uh, and be able to do it like that. But that's a good way to, and that's something you can, you know, you can safely do at home. And if you don't know how to give it, ask somebody who does. Um, and you know, shoot, even just to ask to peek over your vet's shoulder when you're in there getting the rabies shot, how they're giving it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if I would do that. I'd be happy to show you how, how you're supposed to do it. Um, it's pretty simple once you, once you see it done. Yeah. So. No, that's something I've done for years is give shots and, uh, and you're right. I mean, it saves a lot of money and, um, deworming is another thing you can pretty easily do at home. And most, most everybody listening to this, with you know, hounds and furs probably already does. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can, you can walk into pretty much any feed store ordered offline, uh, you know, and get these dewormers. Um, when I'm talking about dewormers, what are we deworming for? Things like hookworms, roundworms, uh, you know, whipworms, um, tapeworms require a little bit different dewormer. Um, but there's, there's multiple forms of over the counter dewormers you can get stuff mm-hmm. like Nemex, that's, that's pyrantal, uh, and multiple forms of finbendazole. Uh, safeguard would be the, the or panicures the dog formulations of that um and so that's something something you can buy and do yourself easily um the most important thing there is making sure you actually know your dog's weight because it's mm-hmm. really dependent you don't want to underdose yep. um and so make sure you got an accurate weight but uh the companion animal parasite council that's uh that's a big organizing body for for parasitology and and uh controlling these internal parasites they recommend uh, monthly year-round broad-spectrum parasite control. So deworming your dogs monthly uh, can make a big difference there. Uh, and, you know, using something like Nemex or Pyrantil is really cheap, especially yeah. even compared to Fenbendazole. Um, but on that note, we are starting to, to worry about parasite resistance to these drugs because we do give them every month. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's a topic for another time. Mm-hmm. But at, at this at this point in time, it's still recommended to, to deworm uh, every dog monthly basis or at least on a regular basis. Um, yeah. and that's something easy enough. Most of them are made to be easy to, to give the flavor or maybe the granules that you sprinkle on your dog's food. Yep. Um, and so that's, that's simple enough and something you can easily handle at home. Don't yep. have to pay a vet. vet yeah. for. Used all kinds of different over the counter dewormers through the years. Yeah. What I use now is a pyrantal like liquid, like you said, yeah. and it goes by weight. Exactly. Yeah. Yellow thick looking yep. stuff. And, and uh, that's easy to get to. And, and now you know, there's also lots of, um, you know, uh, in ivermectin or moxidectin, one of these uh, heartworm pills, a lot of those will also have a, a dewormer in it too. So like okay. HeartGuard Plus has ivermectin and pyrantal in it. And mm-hmm. so when you're giving your heartworm prevention for that month, you're also getting your intestinal parasite prevention in there. Um, and so that's another way you can get it in your dogs. But yeah, that's something that's easy enough to give some dewormer, easy enough to do at home. Mm-hmm. Like I say, just make sure you, know, you get an accurate weight and keep up with it. Yep. Um, so, so there's vaccines, deworming. Um, and then, you know, the other thing that I was going to mention to you is just kind of knowing when to go and, and when to not go. When When is it worth following the vet and, and making a trip versus can I wait it out a little bit? Yeah. Um, Going, going back to your your fear scenario, um, you know, we talked about how 
you know, maybe if we catch problems earlier, they're cheaper. Um, it's also in, when you have your valid VCCR, you're able to uh, call in or text in or email in and to my clinic and to most clinics would, and ask about a problem. Hey, here's what happened. Hey, here's this cut. Um, hey, here's, uh, here's my, a video of my dog coughing. Do I need to come in? Uh, having that VCPR already established, we, we can do a lot with those. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that can be a first, a great first line option when you're, you're just trying to decide whether or not you need to come in. And, uh, I mean, there's a stack of notes on my desk when I get, when I get in there every morning with those kind of questions and requests, okay. uh, tips, tips for, for those things is have as much detail as you can. Uh, if you're going to take a video or a picture, uh, you know, don't, don't take it like your, your grandma with your cell phone, your flip phone, and you're all fuzzy and I can't <laughs> see what's going on. Take a little time. Get, get somebody to hold your dog. Get it to sit still. Take a good quality picture that's not fuzzy. Good lighting. And I can do a whole lot more with a good picture than a bad picture. Yeah. Um, but that is a really helpful way sometimes to say, ah, that can wait. See if it goes away versus, yeah, you need to come in now. We need to take care of that. After that, you know, okay, you, maybe you're out in the woods. You don't have the ability to, you don't have cell service. You don't have the ability to call, um, you know, things that are an immediate trip in. Um, a lot of times your instinct will tell you if you've been, a, a lot of you guys have had dogs your whole life and you're like, yeah, this isn't a problem that can wait. Um, you know, obvious bleeding that you can't get to stop, breathing difficulty, staggering or having seizures. Um, uh, you know, collapsing and uh, being non-responsive. I mean, those are, those are pretty obvious, right? Yep. Everybody's going to be like, Oh yep, Vet trip time, time to go. Um, you know, how about the, the wound, uh, knowing when, when to bring in for that versus handling the home. Uh, you know, some general rules of thumb is, um, if it's too deep for you to see the bottom of it and you're not sure how deep it goes, it's probably time to go for a vet trip, especially, if, you know, if you all got grabbed by a bear, you got puncture wounds in the chest or the abdomen, probably better mm-hmm. come in just to be safe. Yep. Um, but versus the barbed wire cut, if the bleeding stopped and, and, uh, it looks relatively fresh, doesn't look like it's cut into the muscle. Um, you know, you can probably flush that out real good and, and wait on it. Um, so, you know, experience and, and being able to call for a little bit of backup just to make sure you cover yourself is, is helpful. Um, uh, but other things that, you know, can kind of creep up on you uh, that you might think you're okay to just wait on, but you really should, you know, at least call in or, or you know, shoot that text in is uh, things like, you know, weight loss. Um, you know, now for you guys that are running your dogs hard, that's, that's sometimes, you know, kind of hard. Is Are they dropping weight because they're sick or because I just started amping up the, the running again because, you yeah. know, training season's back in. Yep. Um, so, you know, if your dog's eating, it's got a good appetite and it's acting okay and it's got good energy levels, um, you know, probably fine. And they're just getting back to hunting weight. But, you know, if there's something else going on, eh, the appetite's a little off. They're not running as hard as they used to. You know, that might be a sign that some weight loss is something to go get checked out. Um, you know, a cough that's uh, persistent, doesn't go away. Uh, vomiting that is, you know, hanging out for a while. Uh, it doesn't go away after a few episodes and the dog goes back to normal. Diarrhea that's, seem to, to not go away and, and persist and maybe you feel like they're losing a lot of fluid. Um, those are not all things that you want to just wait and see how it goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause they can, they can, they can get bit bad fast. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's a lot of guys that might sit on that and wait. And I, again, urge you to say, at least call in and ask, 
and uh, they can help you sort out whether that's something worth coming in or not for. Um, and then, you know, other things that it's, they're probably not life threatening, but they're uncomfortable and they are, uh, they're, they're painful for your dog. Uh, gosh, hounds and ear infections. Uh, <laughs> you know, if anybody would have told yeah. me how many ear infections I was going to treat when I signed up to go to vet school, you know, uh, I would have been shocked and I told you you're a liar, but we see them all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know if you've ever had an ear infection, but I've had an ear infection yep. and it hurts. Your ear hurts. Your kids, when they've got an ear infection, they're crying yep. um, because it, it hurts to open their mouth and it hurts to chew. And your dogs, I mean, gosh, these hound dogs that come in, I mean, they're just tore up by a bear. And, you know, I can still poke my finger in there and they don't say a word. They're yep. tough. They're not showing that they're hurting, but they're hurting. Um, you know, don't, don't sit on an ear infection, uh, come get that cleaned up. Let's get some meds in there. Um, and it's going to help your dog uh, get back to feeling better. Um, you know, treat them how you want to be treated. (laughs) Nope. That's something that I've had to deal with. Yeah. And they're super frustrating sometimes and some dogs deal with them chronically. Um, but you know, a lot of guys may not see that as a serious thing. And yeah, like I say, it's not life threatening. Mm-hmm. But um, but it's a it's a welfare issue and, and a comfort level of pain issue for your dog. Yeah. Um, so don't don't sit on those forever. Um, dental issues, uh, boy, broke teeth, uh, tooth root infections. Again, if you've ever had a a bad tooth, uh, man, that thing hurts, and uh, your dog's feeling the same way. And if you, it also affects their their sensing ability. Um, that's a that's a bigger topic, but you know, tooth root abscesses, those are the tooth roots are closely related with your dog's nose and their sensing ability. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if they're not showing signs of not wanting to bite down on their food like they used to, or you get lucky enough to hear them chewing on a bone and they yelp when they're doing so, uh, you, in the worst case scenario, seeing pus straying from their mouth mm-hmm. or uh, seeing a lot of drool and stuff like that. Yeah. You say, oof, and I've had some dogs come in and it's like, man, how did they, how did they wait this long? Um, but sometimes it does creep up on you. So if you see things like that, you know, dental issues, uh, come, come get them taken care of sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of things that you can wait on, uh, a little bit of a limp, especially in an active dog that's, you know, been running and he's been hunting hard and you put on, you know, 10 miles on the bear race. Uh, you know, that, that dog, if he's a little bit foot sore the next, next day, it's probably understandable. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you probably don't need to rush in to get an x-ray, and, and most of you guys probably aren't. Um, but you can give them some rest and give them some time in the box and or the, the dog house and, and uh, give them some time off of the seat. But yeah. I'd say a limp, a limp that's not resolving within a few days or is uh, either continually favoring one leg um, or if there's you know an obvious that foot's not hanging right, uh, those would be all reasons to come get it checked out. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple you know episodes of vomiting after the dog is, as you know, eating some grass and you see that in there, probably not a big deal if they go back to their food. Um, and, you know, things like a little bit of a, a cough or uh, some sneezing, you know, a lot of those are short-lived. Um, and you'll kind of see the general theme of these things is if it's not obvious uh, that it's a come in or not sort of thing, uh, you know, a little bit of a waiting period is okay. You know, days or, heaven forbid, weeks is probably too long if yeah. that problem persists. And whenever there's a doubt, just call. Uh, if we've got an IVCP, we're happy to help you sort out whether that's something worth, worth coming in for or not. Yeah. Well, we've covered a lot, and I think that will wrap it up for tonight. But I definitely want to have you come back on. I think you've got a ton of knowledge that we need. I think we could sit here for the next five hours and cover 
all kinds of stuff if we both had time and <laughs> that's right <laughs> but yeah absolutely happy to do it and uh and i just I, I love the three dogs i've got one and just like you guys uh they're a big part of my life and uh if, if we can help you uh you know help you know a little bit of knowledge to help keep your dog healthy and hunting and and uh, keep you doing the sports you love. Um, I'd love to do that. So I'd love to come back on anytime and we can talk about whatever you want to talk about. Awesome. Well, everyone be looking for your ads or your articles are in Full Cry and American Cooner? They're running in both. Yeah, okay. for now. I, I, I admit you're going to miss one the next month. Uh, we had some family stuff going <laughs> on, but, but yep, they'll be back in there the next month. Okay. And, uh, but yep, you can read them both, Full Cry and American Cooner. That is Tree Dog and, Doc. Uh, you got it. Yeah, that tree dog doc on Facebook and Instagram started posting a little bit there and we'll continue to do so if we get some good feedback. So awesome. Uh, give me a follow and, and absolutely love to love to have you follow along. Thank you very much. Have a good night. All right. Thank you, you too. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Tree Talking Media. And until next time, keep them talking in the timber.